Hey, it's Stephen Henderson. Today on the podcast, we are going to talk about month one of the UAW strike against the Detroit Three Automakers. Where are we with negotiations? What has the UAW already achieved with its work stoppage? And where are we headed? What will get them back to work? We're going to talk with Phoebe Wall-Howard, a reporter from the Detroit Free Press who has been covering the strike, and then Merrick Masters, who is an organized labor expert and chair of the Department of Finance here at Wayne State University. He's going to weigh in on the bigger context here, where the automakers have been, what brought them to this point, and what this work stoppage could do to their futures. Phoebe, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much. So let's start with this. Uh, How far apart are the UAW and the Detroit automakers? Is there an end to this that is somewhere in sight? It doesn't seem they're too far apart, but that is not reflected in their tone and discussion. So, in fact, you know, in the beginning when the UAW uh, made its demands and suggested double-digit wage increases, the immediate public response was laughter. I mean, people actually said it was an absurd suggestion. Mm -hmm. Today, all three automakers are offering double-digit wages. pay increases uh, over the life of the contract, with Ford being the highest at 23%. So right now there is focus on retirees and pension, uh, battery plants, but those are those are really uh, key issues now. And we have seen, as you point out, the automakers make real moves to try to end this by conceding on a number of fronts. Uh, recently, they did agree, GM did agree, I think, to to guarantee union jobs at, at, at battery plants in, in the future. As you point out, they're all at double-digit pay increases. So I guess one of the questions is, what are the points that are still sticking here? What are the things that I guess the union is waiting for for the automakers to do for them to be able to say, okay, this is this is enough and we're going to get back to work? Well, see, what, what ends up happening at this point is even the gains are still viewed as chess pieces because when you're at 23% wage increase, you may want to exchange some of that for something related to retirees. So you're talking about people who want to retire and plan to retire, and then those who are currently retired. I took a call just moments ago, actually, from a General Motors retiree in Clawson, Michigan. Mm -hmm. And he said that he's surviving on $1,500 a month, and he is literally in prayer that the retirees are not forgotten in this negotiation cycle. They are not. They are top of mind. So retirees are a big issue. Uh, again, the battery fa- the, the battery deal. And while GM has won accolades from UAW President Sean Fain on the battery agreement, uh, we have not seen details on that. And we don't know really what that looks like yet. I'm not sure the union can say either. Because for Ford, for example, they're still building the plants. They haven't hired anybody. And some of the joint venture contracts are still outstanding. There are details to to make through here. Hmm. So I want to talk a little about tactics. As I said in the open, uh, the UAW's approach here is different than what we have seen before 
in auto strikes. And certainly there's some evidence that it's working, that it, it is effective. But I guess the question is, is it effective enough to put enough pressure on the automakers to have to make a deal? Or does the war of attrition here take a bigger toll on the union side? As you point out, there are people who are, are really struggling, and, uh, and that's only going to get worse as we get deeper into this. Is, in your, in your view, is what the UAW is doing going to be successful? Does it have a chance to be successful against the, uh, the automakers? Yes. Yes, it, uh, the UAW strategy at this moment absolutely does have potential to be remarkably uh, successful. And by that, I mean, I remind people that in 2019, the UAW launched a strike against GM, and it was more than twice as many people on strike mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. One company shut the entire thing down nationally. With this new strategy, that was when the uh, UAW was bargaining one at a time. And now... Uh, unprecedented, as you noted, they're bargaining with all three at the same time, and half as many workers are on strike because um, of the strategic targeting of plants. Just a few plants, and then all the park warehouses. So they has pain with the fewest workers on strike possible, meaning they've gone after the parts warehouses to hurt General Motors and Stellantis, Jeep, Dodge, Chrysler, and Ram truck, uh, in terms of people at the repair shop going to dealers and trying to get their vehicles fixed. That's They've really created a log jam there, and they're hoping consumers say to those car dealers, you know, we want a deal, and we want to get our car parts. Yeah. So this is um, highly effective. As you also noted, the suppliers have laid off uh, people because they don't need the supplies when, when plants are on strike. But also all three automakers continue to lay off workers because one plant feeds another in terms of parts. It's all vertically, vertically integrated. So, um, yeah, there's, there's the potential for great success. And, again, this is an unprecedented uh, approach. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking with Phoebe Wall Howard. She's an automotive reporter for the Detroit Free Press, someone who has been covering the UAW strike of the Detroit Three Auto Market Makers, which is now moving into its second month. We're talking about where negotiations stand, how the UAW strategy is playing out, and what the likely outcome of all of this really looks like. We would love to hear from you during the conversation as well. Uh, one month into the strike, what do you make of what the UAW is doing, the pressure they're trying to put on the Detroit 3 automakers, not only for higher wages, but for some real changes in other kinds of benefits and terms that workers have to deal with. Uh, Do you think they should bring back, for instance, uh, the defined benefit pension plans that were so popular here in uh, Detroit uh, for a very long time from the Detroit Three Automakers, but that the automakers say they now can't afford? Uh, Do you think in a bigger sense that this battle between workers and management is a sign of 
the the new strength, perhaps, of organized labor in the country. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation. Uh, Phoebe, I want to talk a little about the automaker side of this. Um, how are they doing? I mean, this is a very costly strike, I know. And I have heard uh, from inside at least one of the companies that there's real worry about the long-term damage this could do. Uh, Ford seems to be the, the the most vulnerable of the three in many people's uh, opinion. Uh, give us an assessment of one month into this, what they're facing, and what they will face if this goes, say, two months or three months. So two things um, that I'd like to point out. First off, the 2019 strike against GM lasted 40 days. We've just crossed the 30-day mark with this strike. So there are billions of dollars um, being lost. That is real in terms of lack of production and sales and things like that, uh, of parts especially. But um, there's a lot at stake. One thing that's that's worth pointing out is both Ford and GM have now been had their contracts ratified in Canada. So at the same time you're seeing strikes in the U.S., mm-hmm. uh, there's been pattern negotiation with Unifor in Canada. Ford sailed through, offered a 19 percent, uh, I think it was an uh, was a 15% pay raise over there, other benefits like restoring exactly what you just said, defined benefits. And um, General Motors had a strike for one day, immediately returned to the table. Their contract with Unifor has been ratified, now Stellantis. So the, the union activity in Canada, just across the border in Windsor and that surrounding area, has gone very smoothly for the Detroit Three. By contrast, uh, this is costing quite a lot of money. Uh, that's angering some callers who say, why don't they just you know, do a deal instead of spending all the money on loss? So you also have people very angry about this strike, you know, saying that auto workers are paid well. And uh, and this is not helpful. Mm-hmm. Outcomes. Uh, you've covered this for some time, and and of course have covered this strike from the beginning. What's your what's your prediction about the length of the strike at this point, and what the auto the what the automakers will will ultimately have to agree to in order to get their workers back to work. Well, what I hear on the strike line, and I've been going to strike lines around the clock in various parts of the state, and the support for this UAW president, Sean Fain, is is truly astonishing. Mm. Um, I've seen grown men tell him to his face that they love him and they appreciate him, mm. and they feel as if he's giving the everyday worker voice and um, captivating the anger and resentment that they feel. So to see that over and over again and to talk to people at two and three o'clock in the morning, walking the picket line when they have they talk to me on the record and off the record. And it seems they're very concerned. There's anxiety about living on five hundred dollars a week strike pay. No question. Uh, But they are strongly in support of this president. And, um, you know, the union has always said anyone can call a strike. It takes real leadership to get people back at work. And so in this regard, you know, things have been very unpredictable. Do we think it could wrap up soon? 
um, striking Kentucky truck was going for the jugular. Mm. The idea that the UAW did that to Ford Motor Company, it's the most profitable factory that builds the F-150 Super Duty. Um, you know, they make, it's, it's one-sixth of the company's profit is made at that one shop. And UAW said, you don't take us seriously, we're doing a surprise walkout. Mm. That's what they've done. By doing so, uh, that action has scared both General Motors and Stellantis. So when you go after the trucks, that's hurting everybody, and the workers are willing to make those sacrifices, that could speed up resolution. Uh, That's what we're hoping for. Okay. Phoebe Wall-Howard, uh, reporter for the Detroit Free Press. Really great to have you here uh, to talk about the ongoing strike against the Detroit automakers. Thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. I want to tell you I'm right here at the Rouge. Uh, I'm about to go in and... Uh Executive Chair of Ford Motor Company, Bill Ford, Mm -hmm. has just called a press availability to discuss the future of manufacturing and his concern about this situation. So I appreciate your time and accommodating me being in the field. Thank you, Stephen. And we'll look forward to your coverage in the free press of uh, that press conference and of the continuing strike. Again, thanks so much for Thank you. Bye-bye now. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the UAW's demands and major sticking points with organized labor expert Merrick Masters. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. A month into the UAW's strike against the Detroit three automakers, there's no indication that the labor stoppage will be ending anytime soon. Workers say they're willing to hold out for as long as it takes to get what they say would be a fair contract. Meanwhile, the auto companies claim they've already made record concessions and that they don't have anything left to give. Even with these dug-in positions, we have learned a little about what the auto companies have offered as well as what the UAW is demanding. So what do the numbers look like and what can it tell us about these negotiations? That's where we continue the conversation here on Detroit Today. And to help us answer these questions and talk more generally about how this work stoppage is going to affect the Detroit Three Automakers, I'm joined by Merrick Masters. He is the chair of the Department of Finance at Wayne State University. He's also an expert on organized labor. Merrick, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure being here. Yes, it's really great to have you here as well. So I I, want to go back to 2009, uh, the kind of beginning of the end of the Great Recession, uh, also the the kind of sweet spot where the uh, the auto bankruptcies were were taking shape and and the federal help uh, in getting them through that was was coming online um, and and cast forward to today and talk about how the automakers are doing and whether whether this uh, this strike um, reflects the what what's happened over over that time in other words uh, the, the the great the great growth that we've seen in the sector seems to be one of the things that uh, the UAW is is focused on it and and saying that they just haven't benefited in the way that they should from all that. I wonder if you can talk about that period of time and what we've seen leading up to the strike. 
Sure. Let me point to a couple pieces of data that I think illustrate the depths of the despair, so to speak, that was facing the auto companies in 2009, in which two of them were right on the brink of declaring bankruptcy. Um, comparing the company's sales between 2009 and 2007, General Motors sales during that two-year period decreased 46%. Chrysler's decreased 55% and Ford's decreased 34%. In 2008, right before the year the two companies declared bankruptcy, the three companies lost a total of about $62 billion. In today's dollars, that's over $90 billion. So fast forward to um, today, you have in the first half of this year, the company's net profits being about $21 billion. Last year, 2022, in North America, their profits were about $36 billion. Hmm. They had combined revenue globally close to $500 billion. So it is from that vantage point that the union looks at them and says, as Sean Fain cited in his presentation on Friday, that over the past decade, Ford has earned in net profits about uh, $77 billion, that they can afford the demands of the UAW. That's a debatable proposition because it really depends on how you look at the numbers and the extent to which the companies accommodate the union's demands. Hmm. So, so I also want to get right at this kind of central theme of the work stoppage, which is that um, the auto companies have rewarded executives uh, in a way that reflects the growth that's happened since the recession and since the bankruptcies. I mean, uh, 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 the the executive pay at not just at the very top but but across uh, the executive levels at the Detroit three automakers you've seen this incredible incredible rewarding uh, for that. Meanwhile, uh, they point out that the starting pay for an auto worker actually dropped over that period of time. That that uh, it was nineteen dollars an hour, and now it's eighteen dollars. It's. I think that's a very easy narrative for people to wrap their minds around, right? That that if things are better, yes. uh, everybody should benefit. The union saying that didn't happen. Uh, how hard is it going to be for the Detroit automakers to defend themselves uh, in, in this in this work stoppage because of because of that behavior? Well, I think. Sean Fain pointed this out in his presentation on Friday, which he really emphasized what this strike was all about, and it's about inequality. And if you look at income trends or wage trends over the past 40 years, what you'll find is that among the top 1% of workers, real wages, that is wages adjusted for inflation, their income has grown over 200%. For your the rest, for 90%, of the workers, it has grown only 28%. Mm. In the auto industry, if you look at 2007, the average auto worker made $28. Mm. 
Today, the average auto worker makes um, about $30. And um, you, you referred to the low end. And in the past um, four years, mm -hmm. due to inflation, auto workers on average have seen a drop of about 20% in their pay, real dollars pay uh, adjusted for inflation. So if you were to increase the pay of the average auto worker from 2007 by inflation today, it would be over $42 an hour. The UAW in asking for about a 40% increase is asking for something close to that hmm. uh, to catch up with inflation over this time period and make up for the losses because they froze their wages and they also gave away a lot of benefits which were near and dear to many workers in the United States, which really now appear to be relics of the past. And I mean retiree health care and defined benefit pension plans. Those things are no longer staples of the American economy. And for that reason, people feel a great deal of economic insecurity. And you combine that with stagnating or declining wages, and the tremendous number of job losses that occurred in the auto industry. And let's not forget that the restructuring didn't just involve getting rid of defined benefit contributions and retiree benefits. It involved major job losses. Mm -hmm. And you look at in 2000, the year 2000, there were 408,000 hourly workers across the three companies. In 2009, at the, at the depths of the recession, there were 101,000. And that number has come back up to 146,000, but it's nowhere near what it was before. And I doubt that you will see that in the Detroit Three in our lifetime, going back to that number again. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking with Merrick Masters. He is the chair of the Department of Finance here at Wayne State University, also a professor of management and an adjunct professor of political science. He is one of the foremost experts on organized labor, not just here in Southeast Michigan, but uh, all over America. We're talking about the Detroit Three automakers and the UAW strike against them. Now entering its second month, uh, we've seen a little movement by the automakers in an attempt to get workers to sign a new contract. Uh, we've seen the UAW take extraordinary steps, things they haven't done before, in order to put pressure on the automakers. Uh, we would love to hear from you about what you make of all of this one month in. Uh, are you still enthusiastic about what the UAW is doing? We heard from lots of folks early on who were. Uh, do you feel like one month in that this is going the way it should and that it will have the conclusion that you might want. Uh, we'd also love to hear from folks who maybe are cooling off a bit in that enthusiasm, worried about their bills. One month in, you start to think about mortgages and car payments and other things that are now going to come due. If you're living on strike pay, it's going to be a lot harder to maintain all of those things. I think the tenor often of a strike changes when those things start to come into focus. Uh, are you somebody who's thinking differently about it because of that? Uh, if, uh, of course, we would love to hear from folks who are involved in the strike. Are you a member of the UAW? Are you someone who works for the Detroit Three or a supplier? Uh, give us a call and let us know 
what you make of all of this. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phone. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we can work you into the conversation. Let's start today with Ron in Detroit. Ron, welcome to the show. Hi, uh, Stephen. Can you hear me? I sure can. Yeah, well, uh, I have a pension, so I guess you know I'm a retiree that uh, Professor Masters referred to as a relic of the past. <laughs> uh, but what, what really uh, bothers me is the general perception of some in the public that, that auto workers are asking for too much. A growing proportion of my sisters and brothers uh, it makes less than $17 an hour as new people, especially temps, are hired, which, you know, I, I, I sort of feel that isn't that uh, aren't the companies cutting their own throats by uh, bringing up a generation of workers who can't even afford to buy what they make. And my other question is, isn't it when, when people say that auto workers are making too much, isn't it true that in the past, it's just been inevitable that when uh, a sector or a union starts, uh, you know, leading the working class upwards, that some unions are going to be out ahead of others. Um, not everybody is going to, uh, you know, ad advance equally. But when, when, when a union or a sector inspires, you know, a rising tide, it lifts all boats. Mm which the UAW was that leader to a large extent, uh, weren't, weren't, weren't we in, you know, the 30s through the, let's see, sometime in the 60s or 70s. And then uh, the UAW lost a whole lot. Yeah. So my, my question is, if somebody's going to lead the working class upwards, why not the UAW? Because yeah, a, somebody's got to do it. Yeah, it's a great and question. Second, yeah, go ahead, Ron. Isn't it true that, isn't it true that, you know, when you say thirty dollars an hour, that has an effect on the public that ignores the people making less than seventeen as they get hired. The 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 tiered system, I think, is what you're referring to there, uh, Ron, and that is on the table. It's one of the things UAW wants to get rid of. Uh, Merrick Masters, what what are the answers to Ron's questions? Well, I think he makes a very good point is that when you look at the numbers that are constantly uh, reported, they are averages. So $30 an hour is roughly an average of what um, the auto worker makes. But there are a number of workers who are temps and also who are part of the lower tiers that were established during the bankruptcy era to reduce the costs of labor to the companies, they make substantially less. And so if you come in as a temp, you're making $16 an hour and you're gonna max out at about $19 an hour. And that's why temps and tiers are such critical issues. I would say that you know, wages, temps and retiree security as, as well as issues associated with um, uh, covering the battery plants under the master agreement. Those are really critical issues to the UAW at this point in time. And he is also right to point out the fact that in the past, historically, the UAW has been a pattern setter, not only in the auto-related industries, but in the other industries which feed into them, mm -hmm. such as steel manufacturing and 
rubber manufacturing, people looked at the United Auto Workers as a example to follow and emulate in terms of what they were able to secure in wages and benefits. And that worked well when you had the Detroit Three as essentially oligopolies in the economy. In 1965, these three companies comprised uh, about um, 90% of the market share in the U.S. Mm. By 1988, that market share had dropped across the three of them to 74%, and now it's only 40%. And what you have now is the advent, which began in the 70s, really on a massive scale of international competition, the so-called foreign transplants. And also you have the uh, now the non-union EV producers like Tesla, which are capturing a growing share of the market as a result of producing um, popular electrical vehicles. So when you compare the wages that existed in 2007, this is an important point when you look at it, mm -hmm. the average hourly wage of the auto worker in 2007 was $78 an hour. That compares to $15 an hour in 1979. Wow. wow. For the transplants, it was about $45 an hour. So the auto companies were in an indefensible mode and they were not going to get federal assistance, which they got prior to the bankruptcies, nor were they going to get out of bankruptcy if they hadn't jettisoned the retiree health care and defined benefit plans. So that was a simple reality they had to confront. Mm -hmm. uh, and they also uh, abandoned the COLA, uh, the so-called jobs bank. And there was a, associated with that, as I alluded to earlier, the restructuring of the companies that involved large amounts of downsizing. So the footprint, you know, as, as Sean Fain said, over the past 20 years, they've closed 65 plants. Well, that was been going on for a long period of time. So that went in 1970, when the auto workers struck General Motors, there were over 400,000 General Motors, General Motors workers on strike. Today, General Motors employees in the United States, 46,000. Okay, uh, we're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Merrick Masters of Wayne State University. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Let's go to Viola in Warren. Viola, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Good morning. Thank Good. you. Uh-huh. When you speak about the labor costs and what the companies have to pay, our numbers are very small. We're percentages. And when they say they can't afford it in the future, automation, AI, uh, has taken away a lot of our members where you don't need as many members to work. It's not that people are not joining the unions. The work has been traded over for AI and automation. So to say that they're not going to, that you can't afford the workers, that's not true. In addition to that, the numbers are less than $16 an hour that the people are coming in here. And when they do come in here, they got to work eight years in order to be permanent workers. Mm. Living wage in Michigan is $16.27 an hour per person. So when they say they can't, they can't afford it, no. Yeah. People, the, the workers are not going to be there. The numbers are not going to be there. So, and that needs to change, and that narrative needs to be fixed so people can know. 
No, that's not what it's about. Yeah, Vi- Viola, I, I would love, uh, and I hope you can hear me, I-, I would love to hear more about your individual situation a month into the strike, what you're thinking of this. Uh, you-, you are a UAW member. Uh, where- how are you feeling about all this now? I am a proud member of the United Auto Workers, UAW Local 869. I, I, am, uh, I do have my pension. I have my time in. So I can retire within a year or so. But what I see happening to the young people, they can't afford. They can't. You talk about buying a house. They can't afford to buy a house. Not even. Let's not even talk about a car. And what you're pushing for is for the future and the people to have a quality of life. Quality of life. Mm-hmm. And and we have to fight. And in, in, in this point here, this is the most amazing, amazing solidarity of unions combined. GM, Ford, Chrysler, the solidarity is amazing, and, and it's something to be proud of, and other people to see that solidarity that we work together. Yeah. Uh, Viola, really love that you called. I uh, really appreciate your your perspective as well. As well. Thanks so much uh, for joining the program. Uh, Merrick, I, I can't tell you how many workers I talk to who are involved in this who sound exactly like Viola and and who sound all of the same uh, notes that, that that she did about what's happening here. And the thing that keeps coming back to me is that this isn't just about the things that are on the table. There is a bigger sense of uh, of striking a blow for workers and the working class in a much broader sense than just what's happening in the auto plants. Sure, and the way you present the numbers can present vastly different pictures. For example, when the companies present their numbers and they say that their hourly wage costs are $65 an hour, that just doesn't include wages. That includes benefits and other things that roll up into those costs, such as government payments that they have to make on behalf of employees. Uh, So when you look at what a worker takes home at $30 an hour, the auto worker makes a little over $66,000 an hour. That's gross pay. Uh, That's nowhere near what people cite as the, you know, $115,000 employer costs because 38% of the employer costs is in benefits. So what you have seen over time is that there's been a uh, stagnating wage. In fact, because of the tiers, because of temporary employees and other kinds of contingency work, there were a lot of auto workers making below the top tier and really poverty level wages, you might say, in effect, are below living wage levels um, as a result of that. And some of them sacrificed benefits as well in the process, although some of that's been restored. So that's understandable. I mean, when you look at it, people have a hard time making ends meet. Um, $66,000 is right around, you know, the median income. People aren't getting rich off that. There are a lot of auto workers that can't afford to buy the cars they produce because cars have gone up in price uh, considerably. And also they can't afford to make ends meet um, because of the cost of living that is rising. We got used to years of rather temper inflation, but they spiked in the past couple of years. 
uh, for a variety of reasons, but that's caused people to suffer increasing losses and realize that they may face rising inflation going into the future or unpredictable levels of inflation that really erode every wage gain that they get. Uh, and they're trying to they're trying to compensate for that and reclaim their as Walter Ruther said they want to reclaim their rightful share and what we are really facing here is a long-standing age-old debate about who is entitled to the benefits of wealth and, and whether it's labor or capital. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number here. Let's go to Al in Detroit. Al, what's on your mind? Hey, good morning, Stephen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just wanted to say, uh, twelve forty-eight Union Strong. Uh, we are resolute in our uh, what we want. Uh, we're behind Sean Fain. We want to see the best outcome for our union members, and we expect to to have that. Um, these companies have allowed. Uh, been allowed to go through economic resets going back as as uh, far as 2008. Uh, they were able to reduce workforce, um, restructure, um, take loans from these uh, banks. Everyone gets an opportunity to do a reset except for the workers. Hmm. And as we all know, when prices are increased, uh, companies don't want to let that, that revenue go. So quick and we're doing what we have to do in order to show them we expect them to be fair okay and that's important for us just we're just saying be fair to us yeah. we've given up uh, uh, opening up our contracts we've given up benefits um, and we've done what we needed to do in order to make sure the companies are successful um, we expect them to look at us and say you know what Let's go ahead and, and treat them fairly, but yeah. they don't want to do that. So this is where we are today. Yeah. So, so We're out on strike. So, Al, before I go back to Merrick Masters uh, again, I'd love to hear how you're doing. One month uh, into a strike, personally, what what effect is this having on you and your family? And are you feeling as? I mean, I can tell you're you're just as committed to this uh, as you probably were at the at the beginning. But but give me a sense of. Uh, how the strike itself, I guess, uh, wears on you over time. Mm-hmm. Well, Stephen, I- I'll tell you this. Um, it can wear on you if you have not prepared. And this is not new to us. We we anticipated being out on strike uh, long before Sean Fain came into, mm-hmm. uh, you know, leadership. Um, and, and so we saved, we put money aside. You made sure you didn't, uh, purchase anything outrageous that was going to create a a debt for you. And, uh, you just had to play it smart. The young lady earlier, uh, Viola, I believe her name was, Mm -hmm. um, mentioned the young people and, you know, you can tell them, uh, what they need to do in order to prepare, but sometimes, you know, you have to set that example. And uh, for those who did not prepare, they're going to feel it a little bit more. Uh, For me, I'm happy to say that uh, for me and my family, we structured and uh, prepared for this. So we're in it for the long haul. And if if we continue to stay out, we're prepared to do what we need to do um, in other means of income 
in order to uh, to uh, keep going. Yeah. Okay, uh, Al. I, I, again, I I really appreciate you calling and sharing your personal story about the strike, but also the the, the points you were making about uh, equality and fairness that the union is trying to make by by staging these strikes. Uh, let's go next to Frank in Detroit. Frank, welcome to the show. Greetings. Good morning, Stephen. Hey. Thank you, Mr. McMaster. Uh, uh, I want to, first of all, give a shout-out to every uh, what's called legacy worker in the UAW. They are the, they are the American heroes. They have been not fighting for themselves. They've had their wages frozen for practically a decade. They have been fighting for the young workers, for the temps, for the new hires, uh, and they don't get enough appreciation for the sacrifices they have made. My question goes to uh, the question of the battery plants uh, with GM recently agreeing to me make them part of the master agreement. And mm-hmm. here I've seen a pattern, and I want to relate the pattern, and I ask uh, the professor what he thinks. Uh, in 2007, uh, the companies uh, in GM agreed to keep work in-house at a second tier, um, and um, later later on, uh, on uh, there was another uh, agreement to have uh, workers accept a, a lower keep their work in house uh, and 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 but make less wages. And now we have the battery plants, and I wonder whether um, Mr. McMaster thinks that the Ultium plant in Ohio is going to set the new model for what to expect because they recently agreed to and ratified a contract at $21 an hour. And does he think that this is going to set the new standard or are we going to be able to bring the battery workers up to the legacy workers, which are currently around 30 or $32 an hour? Mm. Uh, Frank, great question. And uh, really appreciate your call. We've only got a few minutes left, Merrick, but I do want to have you address that question from Frank. I would say very, very quickly that that's a legitimate point to raise, and that's an issue which has been um, unclarified at this point in time, although they'll be covered under the National Master Agreement, according to this letter of understanding that they are writing. It's unclear whether that means they're going to be paid the same wage that the typical auto worker is paid or whether they're going to be paid a lower wage. And I think that's something that's probably a subject of negotiation. But that's a real point, because as long as you have facilities out there, Teslas and foreign transplants that pay substantially lower wages, they will be the ones setting the pattern, not the UAW. Hmm. That's the danger that we're in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, uh, now just just about a minute left. I, I want to give you a chance to give some predictions about where this all ends, when it all ends. Well, I think there are some thorny issues um, and that it will be difficult to bring closure. But as long as they're talking and making progress, I think GM's concession on the EVs without knowing more about the details, but even granting union recognition was a huge concession. Mm -hmm. And I think that sets a precedent that the other companies are going to have to meet if they want a tentative agreement. There are still issues associated with retiree security and wages to be settled, but they're moving in the right direction. And eventually, you know, in a, I would say within less than a month, probably this thing should be over because nobody benefits when this thing goes on longer. <clears throat> As your previous guest said, it's hard to recoup the losses that you incur mm-hmm. uh, for both sides. 
um, and the workers suffer the brunt. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Merrick Masters, chair of the Department of Finance here at Wayne State University and uh, organized labor expert. Always great to have your expertise here with us on the show. Thanks so much for joining today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Have a good day. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Our assistant producer is Maddie Boyer. Our music is by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. And podcast editing is by David Lyons. Our program director is Adam Fox. Detroit Today is a production of WDET in Detroit. And you can support the show by leaving a rating or a comment. Thanks for listening.